Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sapphire Wire podcast. I'm Lisa Johnston. And I'm Kyle Johnston. And first, I'll start by apologizing for our hiatus. We were out of the country for a while and had some things to do around Thanksgiving and after, so uh, we have been gone for a little while, but we're back now. Yes. (laughs) Excited to be back. (laughs) And we'll jump right in with the long overdue and long awaited part two commentary related to the performance of the Democrats in the last election cycle, as well as some of the more recent pieces written in the Daily Coast reflecting on that and my old series of articles that we talked about last time. And I wanted to start by talking about the selection of candidates who just simply aren't ready for prime time, which has happened, I think, far too often and generally happens when the party is not selecting people purely on the basis of merit, but for various other reasons. Mm -hmm. And the analogy that I'd like to use is a comparison to professional athletics. So imagine, for example, you're a pro basketball coach and you want to build the strongest team that's going to win the most games possible who do you want obviously you want the super superstar players Mm -hmm. you want like the michael jordans or uh shaquille o'neal people who are physically gifted at the sport Mm -hmm. you don't just want somebody who's been around basketball for a long time and they're all right, you know, they've yeah. played in games, you know, <laughs> who are you going to pick? You're going to pick the the true talent. And it's obvious if you want to win games, but it seems like in politics, sometimes people don't do that. They go with people who they think it's their turn. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that last time, yeah. or people who've just been around a while or people who have, quote, worked their way up through the ranks. And sometimes those people are the right choice, but sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. We really need people who are truly political naturals, who are great at campaigning, who are great at talking to people, who are really good at answering questions and thinking through issues and debating and are good when they're put on the spot and in the moment they can come up with the right thing to say. And oftentimes we don't have that. Yeah, they are definitely challenging people to find. Um, They don't just come out of the woodwork. You kind of have to build them over time. And I think in some cases that the party is so focused on these kind of statewide races and putting all their eggs in one basket that they don't take time to kind of build the base and have kind of a bench of candidates, which I think the Republicans have done a really good job at. Right. And sometimes people are chosen because they, you know, are part of the royal family Mm -hmm. or are just sort of a political fixture in the state. And there's one person that I'm thinking of from a previous election cycle. And to be kind, I'm not going to name them. But there was an incident in which this candidate was asked a question by a reporter. And it was being filmed. And they could simply not come up with an answer. (laughs) And then when they couldn't come up with the answer, they tried to get the reporter to move on to the next question. And the reporter simply said, it's the same question. (laughs) And, like, just kept putting the person on the spot and it was just it was so sad to watch and i like mm-hmm. this person very much but it was not a good thing for 
their candidacy, that race, or the party in general. Exactly. But from this past cycle, um, I wanted to talk about Paul Davis a bit and the description in the Daily Coast piece of his performance in the editorial board interview. And I think it was the question about gay marriage that Mm -hmm. was the sticking point that caused an issue. And I have two thoughts. Number one, uh, before you go into an interview like that, you need to prep thoroughly. And it doesn't take a you know, genius to figure out that that might be a question that someone might ask at some point, especially when it's in the news. Yeah, it was a hot topic at the time. So you definitely need to prep for that kind of stuff. You and know, think about what you might exactly. say yeah. in that situation. Right. But the other thing is, and, you know, it saddens me to say this because I like Paul as a person, but if you are that nervous, simply answering questions at a newspaper in front of a bunch of reporters, are you really ready to be governor? And mm-hmm. I'm not sure the answer to that question is yes. Yeah. You know, we need people who are comfortable in that situation and who are truly prepared to lead. You know, and I reflect on myself and my candidacy because I love debating. I would go to newspapers every day and answer their questions if they wanted me to or have debates. And while we were watching the debates, I kept saying that I wished I could take part in every single one of them because that would be fun for me. I like that. And, you know, it's just it's part of who I am and what I enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this to try to be braggadocious, but just to make a point that we need people who are truly comfortable in that realm. Because as the underdog party, we're never going to get over the hurdle unless we have that. Exactly. The other thing that drives me nuts is that if you have someone who has a strong political talent and they're coming to the table and they want to run, don't squelch them or Mm -hmm. hold them back and say you know, oh, you've got to run for some small race first. You need to match people's abilities with the race Mm -hmm. and let them run for whatever they are qualified and equipped to run for. I don't think it makes any sense. We don't do ourselves any favor. It'd be like telling Michael Jordan back when he was ready to play pro basketball, oh, you need to go over here and play in this little (laughs) non-pro league for a while. I mean, you're really good, but you you just need to do that for a bunch of years and then maybe we'll let you play in the pros. It's Mm -hmm. like, uh, hurt yourself, waste (laughs) his time and his talent. That makes absolutely no sense. So... You know, don't tell people, oh, go run for water board or school board or city council if they're ready for more. And frankly, people have different interests. Not everybody is that interested in like city politics Mm -hmm. or local politics. Some people are more interested in state politics. Some people are more interested in national politics. So why, why hold people back if they're really like ready to run for a higher level race yeah they seem to be skeptical of new candidates which i on one hand i understand but you can have some kind of vetting process to kind of get a sense of you know somebody's qualifications and their fitness for you know a certain office and i think what we've seen over the years is when you 
suggest people, you know, run for for kind of down ticket races or that they're not quite ready for something. For some people, that's just off putting. And then, you know, they kind of throw their hands up and get frustrated and don't run or run once and don't come back. And, um, you know, when I mentioned the bench earlier, I think part of the reason we can't build a bench is because once candidates go through the cycle once or twice, they become so disgusted by uh, the process and the lack of support and some of the dynamics uh, within the parties and, you know, even um, within the precincts that they just are kind of disgusted with the process and decide to exactly. just not participate anymore. Exactly. So if you if you want to keep them in the mix, at least let them run for the race that they're excited about if they're equipped to do that. Yeah. You know, don't try to prevent them. You know, don't try to push them into an area that's not a fit for them. I don't think that that makes any sense whatsoever. And I got a lot of criticism in 2010. I cannot even remember how many people asked, why are you jumping into such a big race, Mm -hmm. you know, as your first race? Why are you running for U.S. Senate? Why did you pick like a statewide federal level race? Well, I was passionate about that race and running that year for U.S. Senate. That was what I wanted to do, and I was really motivated to do it. And And at the time you got into the race, there was only one other candidate, and he wasn't getting, you know, the full support of the party, so... Right, and he wasn't getting a ton of traction, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think that there was anything wrong with that. But frankly, that year, I felt like it was unfair for people to criticize me, because that year of the... between this U.S. Senate race and the four congressional districts between those five races, we had three people who had never run for office before. So it wasn't only me. There were other people doing it too. And, you know, I agree that if you can find a political talent, a true superstar who also has been around politics for a while, Mm -hmm. great. But if you don't have that choice, then you need to go with the strongest possible candidate. And, it, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It doesn't take too long to figure out who can do it and who can't. Yeah. All you've got to do is get them up in front of some groups and let people talk yeah. and let people answer questions. And it becomes readily apparent <laughs> who's ready for what. Yeah. I mean, it it's not a mystery. It's very easy to tell. In my view. Now, the other issue I wanted to get to is a connected issue, which is, you know, I think we sometimes end up with very uninspiring candidates. Mm -hmm. And this is just a death blow for turnout in the election. And I have to say, you know, there was some interesting discussion in the Daily Coast piece about Wyandotte County Mm -hmm. and the Democratic Party up there. And some of their issues and problems and challenges, and all of which I think, you know, need some discussion and need some attention, and probably some of those points are very legitimate. But I really have to say, I mean, ultimately it comes down to the voter. And if voters in the most Democratic county in the state of Kansas can't get excited enough to vote for a Democratic candidate for governor who has been shown to be close in the polls, Mm -hmm. that tells you something. That tells you that that candidate is not inspiring enough to voters in their own party, I'm sad to say. Yeah, and I still think there was a factor of uh, the party kind of taking Wyandotte County 
for granted. It's it's a long time democratic stronghold, so they always have it locked up, and it just becomes a matter of you know how many people you're going to turn out. And the turnout this year was historically low, um, and it was it was really damaging. Like we talked about yeah. last time, there were some candidates who great candidates, great people who like really almost got defeated by Republican candidates in Wyandotte County, which would be almost unheard of. Right. So that was crazy. Put up a fight, which, which was unexpected. Well, yeah. And there is a, a total problem, as you say, with taking certain groups for granted. Mm-hmm. For example, back in 2012, I know that people who bought into the coordinated campaign, the way the mailers were targeted, no mailers went to Democrats, which I thought mm-hmm. was a huge mistake. You can't just assume people are with you, that they're following your candidacy, that you know they know about you. You've got, you've got to cultivate your base yeah. in addition to trying to convert persuadable unaffiliateds and moderate republicans when you're running as a democrat you've got to do both and there's too much neglect and then there was some piece of data that came out and the specifics are escaping me right now but uh democrats didn't do well with hispanic voters Mm -hmm. in the state of kansas and this just blew my mind but um there was some discussion in the daily coast piece about how the ball had really been dropped and that not enough attention had been paid and materials had not been created in Spanish yeah. and a whole variety of things that were a problem. Yeah. But I do come back to the thing uh, about how inspiring your candidates are. If if you have very inspiring candidates, individuals will be motivated to vote. Just like, you know, in 2008 when Barack Obama ran for president the first yeah. time. I mean, he was in that moment an inspiring transformational figure and turnout was quite good during that presidential election even in kansas yeah so you know inspiring candidates do make a difference and so that is one element of you know being a political natural being a political talent you need some charisma you need to be able to motivate people and excite people with your presentation and if if you don't have that, it's a shortcoming and it's it's a real problem. And again, those candidates don't just come out of the ether. You have to kind of build your bench and be looking for them um, really all year round. So uh, it seems like the both parties really are guilty of this, but they make a push, you know, as as you get close to the registration deadline and they're trying to find candidates for certain seats. It's kind of a last minute scramble to, you know, call your buddy, call you know, this person and that person and see if they're willing to run. So it's more about, you know, getting a butt in the seat versus, versus finding the right person to right. run in that race. Right. And so two things are important there. One is starting early, very early, much yeah. earlier than we usually start. And I would argue you don't stop. You, you all, yeah. you're always looking for people. You're always looking for the right person and cultivating relationships and uh, encouraging people and kind of building their confidence. Oh, most definitely. And then when you find people who are politically strong, political talents, you don't scare them away by treating them like dirt. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's not a good idea. It's like keep them in the fold. Even if during a particular cycle they're not interested in running or you don't think there's a race that's a great fit for them that particular year, you know, keep them in the mix. Keep them in the party. Mm-hmm. Don't 
play these games of like the in group, the out group. You're not in our clique. You're too new. Yeah. I mean, you know, how many times can we shoot ourselves in the foot and the arm? I mean, we're already handicapped being the minority party in the state. We don't need any additional handicaps. <laughs> we need to eliminate handicaps. And it was real interesting. Uh, a prominent person in the Democratic Party, who I won't name, said to me that he didn't think people were ready for me <laughs> when I ran the first time. And I have thought about that comment so many times. And I think that he was right. A lot of people weren't ready. But I think... People need to wake up and be ready for anyone who mm-hmm. can help the party. Yeah. You know, open your arms to anyone who wants to be involved and can be effective and a strong participant. It makes absolutely no sense to yeah. try to push people out. I, I never understood that at all. Okay, shifting gears a little bit. Let's talk about... Um, the messaging issue and we've touched on this before but there's so much both in campaigning and then after people are actually elected the few that we do get elected there's so much fly under the radar messaging trying not to say anything and it's a real problem because it makes candidates or people who are elected officials look weak and disingenuous when they're not willing to take a position Mm -hmm. and they're just trying to hide in the closet, kind of. Yeah. So I think both Davis and Orman were guilty of that. So they, you know, like we've talked about numerous times, that they were kind of running against, I'm not that other guy, and not running on their own uh, beliefs and uh, values, and they couldn't really uh, enunciate those throughout the campaign, which was off-putting to a lot of people. So, you know, there were a lot of voters who didn't like Brownback, but they also didn't like the fact that Paul Davis, you know, wouldn't say what his positions were. And, and you right. know, I, on one hand, I understand, like, you know, for the tax issue, for example, it's like he's in a tough position because there's not much he can do about it. And coming into a uh, super strong Republican majority, he's going to have even less power because he, you know, doesn't have the veto power. So mm-hmm. he's in a bad position all around. But you can still state your values, state your beliefs, what you hope to do. And, you know, even like what we found, you know, going door to door in 2012 is that even when people disagreed with you, they respected you for, for voicing, you know, your beliefs. And that's uh, the key right just, there. Yeah, voters just want honest candidates who are willing to say what they believe in and what they're going to do. And, you know, I think that that was a real tipping point in this election because Sam Brownback would get up in front of a group and say things that were completely not factual, <laughs> like they were 100% the yeah. truth and he knew they were the truth. And he, he would take positions. And... You know, any time that you aren't willing to take a position, it it makes you look bad to the voters. Mm-hmm. I mean, people want leaders. They want people who are willing to say what they think. They want people who are willing to, when it's possible, tell the truth, which is what I always <laughs> tried to do. Uh, but, you know, it catches up with people every time, like that Allison Lundergan Grimes, mm-hmm. when she wouldn't say who she voted for. And then it became, it took over her campaign. <laughs> like that one little question, yeah. just because she wouldn't stand up and say, well, I'm a Democrat, and, you know, obviously I voted for the president. Yeah. 
And, you know, she just didn't want to. And I understand on the one hand, people don't want to give the trackers for the other campaign the soundbite that they can use on an attack ad where they show, oh, she voted for, you mm-hmm. know. But at the same time, there's a balance there. You've yeah. got to you've got to ride that line between, you know, being protective, and you need to do a little bit of that. But that's yeah. mostly in terms of preparation and not saying things that are boneheaded. <laughs> you know, uh, being prepared and kind of knowing what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. But then you've also you've got to be truthful. You've mm-hmm. got to be willing to take a position and be a leader. That's the job you're interviewing for. Exactly. That's what you're being elected to do. And speaking of that, uh, I was completely blown away by the portion of one of the Daily Coast pieces that talked about the internal party discussions and dynamics that went on surrounding the turn gays away law Mm -hmm. within the Democratic caucus. Because what happened was there were some people who felt strongly about speaking up against the potential legislation Mm -hmm. and taking a position, but were told by certain individuals, either in leadership or representing leadership, that they were not to do that, that they were going to like just keep silent, be still about it, and they weren't going to entertain it because they didn't think it was strategically wise. (laughs) And there were actually moderate Republican candidates who were trying to encourage the Democrats Mm -hmm. to say, we've got to do something about this. This isn't good. And they weren't willing to do it. And apparently some people reported that they were threatened with a primary challenger or some kind of attack or withdrawal of support during the next election cycle. And my view is that's a load of crap. And my advice to anybody who's in that situation going forward is don't take that. (laughs) Fight back. I mean, if someone comes at you, someone in your own party comes at you with that kind of a threat, threaten them back. Say, I'm going to publicize that you're threatening people in your own party, (laughs) and I'm going to put that out when you're running. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, don't sit there and take that crap from people. I mean, you don't have to be a doormat just because you're part of the same caucus. And I think that that kind of uh, intimidation and those kinds of negative tactics are completely ridiculous. People are being elected to lead. And I understand that each individual person needs to make their own decisions, and sometimes people want to or need to be strategic. But don't prevent someone in the party from taking a position on bad legislation Mm -hmm. if they feel motivated to do that, because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, exactly. It's quite ridiculous. Well, as kind of a wrap-up thought here. One of the things that I wanted to say is, you know, there are a lot of issues and a lot of problems and a lot of things that need examination and changes that need to happen. But for that to happen, uh, people in the party, uh, Dems from around the state, have to speak out and essentially demand change for Mm -hmm. that to occur. And I don't just mean a few people speaking at one time. I mean, it's going to take a collective group and it's going to take people continuing to talk about the issues until positive changes start happening. Exactly. And, you know, 
what's sad is that, you know, people get very amped up around election time and right after the election Mm -hmm. and get upset about things that weren't uh, the way they should have been or opportunities that were missed. But then as time goes on, they may get kind of complacent or feeling hopeless or kind of shrug their shoulders like, "Eh, that's the way it is. I don't know what to do. And, you know, the thing I'll say about that is that if people adopt that attitude, it is like a complete insurance policy that things will stay as they are and never change. So people need to continue to think about how things can be better and how things can move forward and continue to talk about that and put pressure on the leadership for that to happen because otherwise nothing will ever change yeah and that's i'm really leadership at every level so there's you know the state party uh state leadership county parties um just you know get involved and and demand that things get better it'll be interesting to see if there's any discussion of these issues or any positive changes (laughs) that occur it you know it takes time you know it's it's a process but it it can't it can't uh move forward until someone has the courage to to start Mm -hmm. and begin to talk about the issues and uh, not let up on it so it's really important that's right Okay. Well, thanks so much, everybody. And uh, that'll do it for this time. And we will talk to you, I guess. I don't know if we have any links this time. Just... Uh, we'll link to the Daily Coast uh, piece again. And uh, if there's anything else that we talked about today that's relevant, we'll link to that as well. Okay. Till next time. Until next time.